0: Um, hey, everybody doing okay? Good? Good? All right, there's a couple of people here that are okay. Uh, thank you. So I'm um, glad you guys are here. We got a lot of ground to cover today, so um, and I have, to, I have to preface today's lesson um, with two different things. The first one is, well, more than two. There are there's several things. The first one is this. If you have never been to this church, we go through whole books of the Bible, which means we start a book of the Bible, different times. We work through it chapter by chapter, line by line, until we finish it. Um, We've been in the Gospel of Matthew since the beginning of this year, and we probably won't finish it until about late January, early February. So we've been in it for quite some time. Now, the reason I tell you that is because in light of all the uh, recent events and things that are going on politically and in our nation and in our world and everything else, one would think that I just kind of cherry-picked Matthew chapter 24 to be for this week, and I did not. I did not plan to talk. It's a chapter about the end of the world. I didn't do that on purpose. I just want you guys to know that. Uh, (laughs) Glad you think it's funny. I didn't sleep all week. You know, I'm like, Lord, how did it land exactly when it landed? But I'm sure that's intentional. I'm sure God worked it out like that for for a reason. So we need to hear it for a reason. So that's why we teach the Bible the way we do it. And that's why I believe this expository teaching thing is very, very important. So that's, that's kind of the first thing I wanted to preface. The second one is this is, um, and it kind of connects to the first one, is uh, I'm apolitical, which means anything I say today has no political leaning. I'm I'm not a political person. That doesn't mean I don't have opinions. Doesn't mean I don't vote. Doesn't mean that I, I don't have ideas or love our country or any of that stuff. I don't think it's a pastor's job to be political. My job is to teach the Bible, not to try to sway you to vote one way or the other. That's not my job, okay? So, over the years, I bet 90% of all the people who have ever left our church, it's not because of theology, it's because that I didn't want to make Jesus a political God because he's not a political God, and I'm not going to move in that direction, So, and I don't, I don't apologize for that. But So I wanted to preface, I'm, I'm not a political person, so nothing today has any leanings to the right or to the left. I, I just want to lean the way Jesus wants me to lean, and um, I didn't pick out this chapter just out of nowhere, we just happened to land on chapter 24. Now, where we were in chapter 23 is a very, very interesting place. Um, Chapter 23 is is pretty rough. What I mean by rough is, is Jesus is basically berating the religious community. And the reason he is berating the religious community is the religious community in his time cared more about their temples. They cared more about their nations and their city than they cared about people and the things of God. So Jesus comes at them really, really strong in chapter 23. And so most of chapter 23 is Jesus berating the religious community, and then at the very end of chapter 23, Jesus is lamenting. He's lamenting his city. He's lamenting his nation, not the geographical area, his people. He's sad that his people have turned away from God, and so he is lamenting them. We talked about last week, though that Jesus is going to do a lot to get our attention. He's, he's always doing things, and he sometimes lets catastrophic things happen. Sometimes Jesus is the enactor of, if that's a word, the catastrophic things, right? He's the one doing those things, not because he hates us, but because he loves us. Sometimes he has to shake our world up a little bit to get our attention, okay? That's what we talked about last week. This week, we're going to talk about this. And again, I finished this on Monday, so I didn't write this. I wrote wrote this before the election happened. But are we prepared for the things that are to come? Are we prepared for kind of the worst case scenarios? That's what we're going to talk about a little bit today. So again, this is typically when I would pray and we were going to the Word, but I want to do another preface. I I want to kind of preface what is Matthew chapter 24 and 25. The next two chapters that we're going to be working on are called apocalyptic writings apocalyptic literature. And I wanted to kind of explain what that means a little bit. So if you've been at this church for any length of time, we've done the book of Daniel before, and we've done the book of Revelation several times. And those two books of the Bible and Matthew chapter 24 and 25 fall under what is called apocalyptic writing or apocalyptic literature. Now, whenever you say apocalypse, people get scared, right? Nuclear apocalypse, Zombie apocalypse, right? All this stuff about apocalypse. All the word apocalypse means is an unveiling. It is revealing something to us. That's all the word apocalypse means. And what we have in Christianity and what we have in the Bible is what's called an apocalyptic view of time. Which means that as things unfold, things are going to get worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. And and then something is going to happen. Christians believe that is the second coming of Jesus. And then things will get better and stay better forever. Okay, this is, this is my, my extremely complicated graph of apocalyptic theory. Don't make fun of this, man. I made this. So what's gonna happen is, again, this is, this is timeline. And so things are going to get progressively worse and worse and worse and worse. Something is going to happen. Again, we believe that that's Jesus coming back. And then we're going to live, hopefully all of us in this room, in eternity with Jesus Christ and things will never be bad again. They will always be steadily worse. Good. Okay, that's called apocalyptic theory. It's important to remember with with this lesson today. So, this particular portion of apocalyptic literature that we're going to be studying, Matthew chapter twenty four and twenty five, is called the Olivet Discourse, which means Jesus is in the Mount of Olives and he is giving a very lengthy speech. It's his last speech before he's arrested and tried, falsely tried, and murdered. Right. But what this last lecture is about, this last speech. Is about how one day God is going to judge the opponents of Jesus and Jesus' teaching. People that do not believe in Jesus and people who have opposed Jesus. So all of Matthew 24 and 25 is one long lesson. It's not to be broken up. We broke that stuff up a long time after Jesus uh, uh, came and went from this earth and it was intended to be one fluid conversation. And what this conversation highlights is two things. Prophecy, which means things that are to come, and how we prepare for those things. So prophecy and preparation. The first part of his discourse is the prophecy. The second part is how do we prepare for those things that are coming? Now, here's what's important about apocalyptic literature. We need to make sure we don't miss the point of it. What a lot of people do is they want to figure out when and where and who and well, these two countries just signed this so must, something must be happening and this happened over here and all these different things and we're trying, to, we're trying to decode something. Now listen, the Bible is not trying to conceal information from you. It's trying to reveal information to you. There's no secret codes in the Bible. There's no conspiracy theories. You don't add up every 14th letter and find out the descendants of Jesus are buried under the Louvre. You don't do any of that. That's not how the Bible works. That's just bad Hollywood, okay? Okay. The point is not to decode a series of events. The point is to prepare us for what is coming in the future. So some of the events in Matthew 24 and 25 have already happened. Some of them have been happening for the last 2,000 years. Some of them have not happened yet, right? We're seeing this progression of time, okay? So, and here's another thing that we struggle with. Just like the disciples in Jesus's day, they didn't want to hear about suffering. They didn't want to hear that times were going to get tough. They didn't want to hear about persecution. They just wanted to skip to Jesus coming back, right? And taking us to paradise. Modern day Christians, and this is for another argument for another day, who believe in the traditional view of rapture, that we're just standing here and half of us are zapped out. That's not in the Bible, guys. And you can argue about that later when I do Revelation again. But this idea of Christians skipping all the hard stuff, that that was never God's intention, and it's still not God's intention. So we have got it in our minds, though, as a lot of North American Christians that we're going to kind of safely hang out. We're not going to get too close to people. We're going to bide our time. and Then Jesus is going to swoop in, take us away, and we're never going to have to deal with any bad stuff. That kind of passive Christianity is not Christianity at all. We have a mission. We have an objective to disciple, baptize, and teach. We have an objective to get into the darkest corners of the world. Jesus says to be sent out like sheep among wolves. Not to be passively sitting around until he comes by. We have something to do with this life we've been given, okay? All right? And to affect as many people as humanly possible in that time. So, the main point of apocalyptic literature is this the main purpose of prophecy and apocalyptic writings in the Bible is to stimulate us to be holy. It is to to trigger us. It is to push us. It is to shake us up, to be more like Jesus, to live more like Jesus, to, to, to build a stronger relationship with Jesus. Again, there's no secret codes. There's no conspiracy theories. It is a warning that one day time will end and we need to be prepared for that time. That's what apocalyptic literature in the Bible is. Okay, so you should have got a notes handout. You guys were like, man, we should have just stay home and watch the Titans game today. But anyways, you should have picked up uh, uh, handouts on the way in. Um, everything will be on the screens in the room around you. And um, if you have an old school Bible like me, we're in the first book of the New Testament. We're in the 24th chapter. And if you have the Experience Community app, everything will be on there as well. So let me pray. We'll jump into chapter 24. We're only going to do about half of it and um, see where God takes us. Okay? Thank you guys so much for being here. Um, Let's pray. Father, Lord, we love you. God, I love this church, Lord. I love uh, the men and women in this, in, in, in this church. God, I pray that you keep your hand on us. I pray, Father, that we are prepared, God, um, that we don't get sidetracked or, or entangled in the chaos and confusion that is around us, God, but Lord, we stay focused on you. So, God, bless our church. Father, we don't just pray for our church, we pray for every single church in our city. We pray for all the great churches we work with up in New England and all the churches we work with overseas. Father, we pray, Lord, that uh, we can be the light in the darkness. We pray that as we study your word today, God, that it will not only sharpen us and make us better, but, but Lord, ultimately, that it honors you, makes you proud. And I pray, God, that everything that comes out of my mouth today, God, that it, uh, that it reflects your heart and that it's, you, it's what you want us to hear, God. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We praise you. We pray all these things in your son's name, God, in Jesus' name, Amen. Okay, so Matthew chapter 24 starts. Jesus has left the temple, right? He's walking out with his disciples and they're on their way out of town. Okay, that's where we pick up. As Jesus left and was going out of the temple, his disciples came up and they called his attention to its buildings. He replied to them, do you see all these things? Truly I tell you, not one stone will be left here on another that will not be thrown down. While he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples approached him privately and said, tell us, when will these things happen? And what is the sign of your coming in the end of the age? Jesus replied to them, watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Messiah and they will deceive many. You're going to hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed. You should underline that, circle it, highlight it, draw some arrows to that. See that you're not alarmed because these things may take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise up against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines, earthquakes in various places. All these events are the beginning of labor pains. That's just the beginning. Okay, so in Jesus's time, Many of the Jewish people valued their city, they valued their country, and they valued their religious institutions and buildings more than they valued people and more than they valued the things of God. That's why Jesus was so mad. So as they're walking out of town, Jesus' disciples go, look at how fancy our churches are. Look at how nice these buildings are. And Jesus looks at them and says, I assure you, every single one of these bricks is going to be on the ground soon. All of your man-made institutions will be leveled and knocked down. Now, here's the thing about that. It's not that being patriotic is wrong. My father fought in Vietnam. My grandfather fought in World War II. My father-in-law is a retired sergeant major from the army. We love our country, right? We're patriotic. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with success and accomplishment. There's, nothing, there's not even anything wrong with a church having a nice building per se, But whenever these things become more talked about than your faith, whenever these things become the topic of conversation, whenever they become the focus, whenever more money goes into these things, whenever they become more important than God and the people of God, they have become idols and they're wrong. They're wrong. And so God was trying to put these things into perspective. And what it does is it goes back to our hearts. The Jewish people put so much stock in their buildings. That was their crowning achievement. But as, as they, were, they were building these huge things, right, and looking really, really good on the outside, their hearts were distant from God. That was the problem. So God's judgment was drawing near to his people, but they were so self-absorbed that they couldn't see it. Because when you're always looking at yourself, it's hard to see anything else. And that's what was going on. They were constantly just thinking about themselves, and they couldn't see what God was doing just in the coming decades to that area. So the disciples wanted to know two things. The first thing they wanted to know, because Jesus said the temple was going to fall, that's the most important thing in their culture, when's that going to happen? Then the second thing, they connected to the temple falling. Listen, they loved the institution of religion so much, the thought of it crumbling had to mean that Jesus was coming back soon. So they said, well, when are you coming back? When's the temple falling apart? When is our beautiful building falling apart? And when that falls apart, how can we even go on living, right? So you must be coming back soon. They confused the building for the relationship with God. That's what they did. So they asked those two things. When will the temple fall? When will you be back? So they start to work their way out of town. And they go up to an area called the the Mount of Olives, which is an area that looked out over the city, right? Now, here's what's really neat about Jesus talking to his disciples right there. The Old Testament in Zechariah says that's where the Messiah will come back. He will come back to that exact same spot and enter back in to Jerusalem again when he comes back. So that's kind of an interesting place for him to be teaching about the distant future and the near future. Now, this is important. What Jesus is going to talk to his disciples about is an escalation of evil. I showed you that apocalyptic theory. Things go down, 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 down. Listen, the reason things go down, 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 down is because evil is going up, 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 up. So Jesus is going to paint a picture of the escalation of evil. It's gonna start with his disciples and every generation that passes, evil is going to increase in the world, okay? It's gonna get worse and worse and worse until Jesus comes back. So one of the first things Jesus talks about is false saviors, false Christs. Now, we've always had these. If you talk to someone in here in their 60s, 70s, and 80s, they can tell you about Jim Jones in California, right? If you talk to someone in their 40s, maybe 50s, they can tell you about about the Waco, Texas incident. There's always some kind of generational Messiah that pops up, and all these people follow him, and it never ends well, right? Usually in a bunch of people dying. And so Jesus says, a lot of people are going to come in my name claiming to be the Savior, and they're going to deceive a lot of people. Now, again, this has been happening ever since Jesus walked the earth. But what Jesus is saying is, as time goes on, the escalation, it's eventually going to get so bad that there's going to be a global figure that will claim to be the Savior of the world. The Bible calls that the Antichrist, right? And we can simply look at how our nation... I think the idea when we call ourselves one nation under God, I think is a, is, a, is a laughable statement to me, but we can even see in our nation, Christianity plummets about 15 to 18% a year in the United States. And the last 20 years, since the year 2000, we can see that, that right now, currently in the United States, only 25% of the United States believes that this book is from God. You cannot be a Christian unless you believe the Bible is the infallible word of God. So this leads me to believe there are not as many Christians as we claim that we have. So, we can see how this escalation is taking place even in our backyard. Jesus says there will be wars, there will be rebellions, there will be famine. Now, again, wars have always taken place. And so, Jesus says not to be alarmed. There's always gonna be wars, there's always gonna be conflict. The same goes with rebellions, the same goes with famines and earthquakes in various places. But again, Jesus is alluding to it's gonna get worse, those are going to intensify. So these things will build, 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 build until we reach a crescendo of evil and chaos. And then Jesus steps back in. He's gonna have enough by that point. So look at the analogy he uses. If you don't believe in this apocalyptic theory that I'm talking about, if you don't believe in this escalation of evil, look at the, look at the analogy Jesus uses. Jesus says as time go on, goes on, it's gonna be like a woman in labor. Now, I've never personally gone into labor, but I've watched my wife do it twice, right? Stood right there next to her is crazy. Anyways, watch that twice. And if you ask any woman who's going through labor, hey, is it getting easier as time goes on? Been in labor 32 hours and it just keeps getting better and better. No, that's not the way it works. It gets worse and worse and worse and worse. And so Jesus says, this is the beginning of labor pains. Now it doesn't end in catastrophe. What I mean is this, if you talk to the same woman who says, yes, it gets worse and worse and worse as time, time goes on in labor. When that woman gives birth to a beautiful baby and they lay that baby on her chest, she's not thinking about the pain she went through. She's just thinking about this beautiful new creation that she's holding. That's what it's going to be like when Jesus comes back. When Jesus comes back, we're not going to be thinking about how awful things had gotten. We're going to be in eternity, in a new creation with Jesus. And that's all we're going to be thinking about. This is exactly... What Jesus was talking about. It's going to get worse and worse and worse and worse, but one day Jesus is going to come back, and those that have followed him, you're not gonna be thinking about how hard the world was. You're gonna be thinking about how great eternity is, okay? But we're not there yet. Then they will hand you over to be persecuted and they will kill you. You will be hated by all nations because of my name. Then many will fall away, they'll betray one another and they will hate one another. Many false prophets will rise up and deceive many because lawlessness will multiply. The love of many grows cold, but the one who endures till the end will be saved. This good news of the kingdom will be proclaimed in all the world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. So again, we're working towards a finality. We're working towards an end time. And all of these signs that Jesus has mentioned thus far that we've read, right? Jesus warns us at the beginning, don't take these too seriously yet, right? He says, do not be alarmed yet. Just because you heard that, that a peace treaty was signed in Israel, I remember when that happened, I had probably 15 people get a hold of me and be like, ah, oh, there was a peace treaty signed. And I said, give it a couple of days and then missiles were shot the next day, right? So don't be alarmed. Don't, don't like get rid of your 401k and wait for a comment. Just chill out for a second. And so as time moves on, though, Jesus stops using kind of the cautionary verbiage, kind of leading us to believe that as time goes on, we should take this whole eternity thing a little bit more seriously. You know what that means? Let's say Jesus doesn't come back for another 1,000 years, right? Just because Jesus doesn't come back for a 1,000 years, every single day that passes, we should be thinking more and more about eternity. We should be thinking about the state of our souls, We should be thinking about the state of the souls of those around us and that we care for, right? We should be thinking of that. Every single day that passes, eternity should be on our minds. We should be thinking about those things. And Jesus says they will hand you over to be persecuted. Why? As time goes on, why will people start persecuting Christians? The reason people will start persecuting Christians more and more is real disciples of Jesus will point out to the world that their system is broken. And they will be hated for that. They will start to point out that the political system is broken, the entertainment system is broken, the economic system is broken, right? They will start pointing those things out and people will hate them for that. The real believers of Jesus will also point out the selfishness of the world, the sin of the world. And because of that, people will hate them and it will reach the point of, Killing them. Have you not seen it in your nation? Have you not seen it that if you stand up for biblical principles, you're small minded, you're bigoted, you don't believe in science, you're ignorant, you're hateful, it's hate speech? Have you not seen it? And so, what's going to happen is because it will become increasingly difficult to stand by the principles of this book, Jesus said it. People will turn away. Not only will they turn away from the faith, if you've known anyone who's turned away from the faith, Nowadays, it's not enough to just walk away from your faith. You have to hate everyone who's still in that faith. And they speak poorly about you. And they they push you down. And they hate one another. Because many people will choose comfort over carrying a cross. They will carry that ease. They, They want that ease. Not to have a burden. Not to have to stick by righteous principles. That's what's going to happen more and more until Jesus comes back. And many will fall away, it says. And because of that, lawlessness will increase and people will become cold. Because of the rise of false prophets, what's going to happen is this. There's going to be a lot of pastors that are going to teach a variation of the Bible, but not the complete Bible. They're not going to teach you chapters like Matthew chapter 24, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, right? They're not going to teach you the book of Revelation or the book of Daniel. They're not going to get into the hard stuff. They're not going to get into this stuff that kind of cuts to the core of you. They're going to sell you something that is just nice and shiny and joyful all the time and prosperity because the idea of carrying a cross doesn't get more people to tithe. And so they're going to teach you something easy. And here's the thing because of the lack of teaching the truth, lawlessness will increase. And when lawlessness increases, a lack of love for people also increases. Let me give you an example. And guys, listen, I I, I don't support abortion. I'm I'm against it. We give a lot of money to a great organization that that does it in a loving way to fight against abortion. Let me tell you something that I find ironic. A lot of conservative Christians who are anti-abortion laugh at videos of protesters getting run over by dump trucks. Seems like hypocrisy to me. If life matters, doesn't all life matter, right? Even the person that you may not agree with ideologically, don't their lives matter? Are they not created in the same image of the same God that you are? And so I find that ironic and I find it hypocritical. But what happens is this as lawlessness increases, the value of life becomes cheaper and cheaper and cheaper. And as society distances itself from the Creator, it's no wonder that we don't value the creation. And that's what will happen more and more abuse will rise, injustice will rise, people being cold and callous, even within the church will rise. But Jesus says, the one who endures this till the end will be saved. See, Jesus was trying to teach us not to freak out every time we see something on the news, not to freak out every time we hear about a peace treaty or a war breaking out, but to be aware that evil is increasing. And every single generation will have a battle to fight, spiritual battle to fight. But we need to know that as time goes on, listen, our children are going to fight a completely different battle than we fought when we were their age. Let's talk about pornography for a second because we're adults in this room and I'll be careful because I know that there's some kids in here too. Man, when I was 11 or 12 years old and you wanted to look at pornography, you had to know a guy that knew a guy that had a grandfather that had a VHS tape somewhere in the attic, right? That's how you looked at pornography in my day. (laughs) Nowadays, all you 11-year-olds, all these 11-year-olds just pull out their phone and they have access to everything right there. Not just access to pornography. They can see the girl in the class next to them naked if they want. Send each other pictures. Listen, lust has always been a struggle, but have you seen the escalation? Do you know we're the only nation on planet Earth that has a $17 billion a year porn industry? Only the United States. That's what I find is fascinating. We keep talking about like we're the exclusive Christian nation. Do you know there is no nation on planet Earth that puts out the filth that that we do? There is no nation on planet Earth that makes the kind of violent movies like the United States makes. Prove me wrong. There's no nation on planet Earth that puts out the kind of filthy music that we do and not just puts it out, makes it their best selling music. No one else on planet Earth does that. Do you know it's illegal to look at pornography in Africa? It's illegal in Russia. It's illegal in most of the nations in Europe. It's $17 billion a year in the one nation under God. Sell me that line. It's bogus and we need to get our head out of the sand and realize that our culture and our society has a cancer and we need to start realizing that and our children are going to fight a battle that we couldn't even dream of and we better darn well be preparing them for it. And it's not fought over politics and it's not fought over policies. It is not a fight against flesh and blood. It is a spiritual fight. And we need to be training our families and our children and ourselves, quite frankly, to be fighting this fight. It means we have to be alert. It means we have to be diligent because evil is escalating. We have to be intentional. You gotta pray. You have to read your word. You have to be growing your relationship with God and helping others to do the same. It is remarkably simple. I'm gonna tell you how to combat every single struggle in your life right now. Here it is. Read the word of God. Obey the word of God. Pray to God and listen to God. Be at church and have community. That's it. That is the answer to every problem. I'm serious. Corey, my marriage is falling apart. If the two of you will read the word of God, do what it says, be at church, pray to God and listen to him, your marriage will work out. I give you my word. Corey, our finances are a mess. If you read the word of God, do what it says about your finances. The Bible talks about finances. If you will pray, if you will trust him and listen to him, if you'll have church community and have accountability, I give you my word. You'll get back on your feet. In every corner of your life, every corner of your life, it's not a complicated, crazy answer. Read the Word of God. Talk to God. Be around other people that do the same. That is it. Even talking about things like anxiety, which is something I've struggled with, guys. Do you know what the Bible says about anxiety? Be anxious for nothing, but in all things, pray. If you're anxious about the future, talk to the God that holds the future. If you're anxious about things, pray about those things, okay? Here's the good news. Jesus says before he comes back, all nations will have access to the gospel. Every nation on earth will have access. And what this will do is this will either bring a lot of people into a relationship with Jesus or it will solidify their faith because they will reject the truth. Here's the thing. With our current technology, the gospel is spreading extremely rapidly in an amazingly creative ways. There's a guy that comes to this church He's with the National Guard. He's a recruiter and he's got a really neat ministry. Would have never thought of this. He has a Twitch account and he's got like tens of thousands of kids that watch him like do these video games thing and all these kids talk to him and they do all this stuff. And as he's doing all this stuff, he, he shares the gospel with them. And every month he, he sends me an email and he says, hey, I need 15 more Bibles. These kids all over the country are just asking me questions and he's sending Bibles to all these people that he's meeting over his Twitch account as he's playing video games that's cool, man. It's creative. It's different. But because of this technology, the gospel is spreading. We go to these little islands in Lake Victoria and, and Uganda. Islands, I mean, not much bigger than this room we're at. People have never been off these islands. They've never seen people with my color of skin. We'll roll up on these islands and we get these little things. It's a little box. It's, it's about half the size of like what an old school iPod was. It's got one button on it and it's got headphones and it comes in Swahili and Lugandan. Those are the languages that they speak. And we can give them these boxes. It costs about $10. They can put the earbuds in, hit a button, and it reads the entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation. It costs us about $10. So we can roll to these different areas and give them these things and copies of the scripture. See, the gospel is advancing at very, very rapid pace, which is a good thing, but it also means that time is getting shorter and shorter. So when we see the abomination of desolation spoken by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand, then those in Judea must flee to the mountains. A man on the housetop must not come down to get things out of his house. A man in the field must not go back to get his coat. Woe to the pregnant woman and nursing mothers in those days. Pray that your escape may not be in winter or on the Sabbath. For at that time, there will be great distress the kind that hasn't taken place since the beginning of the world until now and never will again. Unless those days were cut short, no one would be saved, but those days will be cut short because of the elect. So Jesus is referring to something that Daniel said in the Old Testament. He uses this phrase, the abomination of desolation. What an abomination is, is this. An abomination is anytime something unholy happens in an area where something holy should be happening. Um, For instance, this is a a Christian church. We believe in Jesus Christ, right? If you were to come in here and if I were to bring a shrine to Vishnu or Krishna or or, or some other God, that would be an abomination because something that, that is unholy has taken the place of something that is holy. And whenever an abomination takes place, it leads to desolation, which means devastation. So the exact abomination that Jesus was referring to is in 70 AD, about 30 years after Jesus spoke these things, Rome came in, they completely leveled Jerusalem and where the temple was, they set up Roman gods where the temple was. It was an abomination to God and they devastated the area. That's what he is referring to. So Jesus was saying to the Jewish people, your abomination's coming soon. So he warned them, the people of this region, go up into the mountains. Don't come back for your coat. Don't come back to check on the things in your house because if you do, you're gonna get caught up in the violence. You're gonna get caught up in the destruction. Now, this is gonna be controversial, but but, I mean, again, I I didn't do these things. I didn't write these things. Even right now, every Jewish generation has had some kind of abomination happen to them, right? And so even right now, where the temple of God should be, there is a Muslim mosque. it's called the Dome of the rock, right now. So even right now, there is an abomination that is going on in Jerusalem as we speak, to where the true God's temple should be, there is a God that we don't believe in, that sits on top of that bedrock that is still going on now. The ultimate abomination has not come yet. That's going to come in the form of the Antichrist. Paul talks about the Antichrist and in Second Thessalonians, calls him the man of lawlessness. John, of course, speaks about it in Revelation chapter 13. And what the final, what the, the, the last abomination of desolation is going to be globally. People all around the globe are going to focus on one individual and they're going to think that this individual is the savior. They're going to adore this person and fall at this person's feet. And so though there will be multiple abominations, again, things are escalating. Remember that. Things are escalating, escalating, escalating to where the entire world will be focused on one individual that we call the Antichrist. So up to this point, up to verse 21, it's referring to 70 AD. So Jesus was talking about their near future. And then in verse 21 and 22, Jesus moves to our future. And he says, as bad as Rome being destroyed sounds, he assured his people one day it's going to get even worse. One day there's going to be something much, much worse. Something that will never happen again because the earth can't even stand it. And we call it the great tribulation. That is the last three and a half years of the last seven years of human existence on this earth, okay? So again, evil increases, 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 and evil increases to such a point to where Jesus says, I'm done, we're done. And he's gonna step back in for the last time, okay? Okay? Now, Jesus says those days will be short, but they're going to be very, very intense. Jesus says, unless those days were short, no one would be saved. Now, there's two different interpretations for that, and maybe they're both a little right. The first interpretation is this. If you go into the book of Revelation and you read about the seals, the trumpets, and the bowls, right? The things God pouring his wrath out. If you read about those things, cataclysmic events, right? Meteors hitting the earth, volcanoes erupting into fresh water and salt water, contaminating things, ecological disasters, all these things taking place. The first interpretation of this phrase that no one would be saved is if God continued to do what he did in Revelation too long, he would literally rip the world apart. He would tear it up, it would be destroyed. The other interpretation is because of the evil and persecution during this time. That if we were to be in that too long, even the best of Christians wouldn't be able to stand it. They wouldn't be able to make it. So God cuts those days short. However you interpret that, I don't know if there's a right or wrong there. We don't really know. But because of the elect, because of the people that follow Jesus, God is going to cut those days short. They're going to be limited. Okay? So let me tell you something about my job. I, I love my job the majority of the time. I do. I do. I love what I do. There's nothing else I would rather do than be here doing this with you right now. I'll also tell you, I lose a lot of sleep and it's a very, very difficult job to do, especially in a year like we've seen where so many people have not just stepped out of the Experience Community Church, they have stepped out of the family of God, seen droves of it. It's been very, very difficult. It's been a hard year. Um, Guys, this is something though that, that we have been talking about. If you've come to this church for any length of time, we have been saying stuff like today, for years and years and years and years and years, trying to prepare ourselves for what's going to take place. So as much as I love my job, this is a very, very hard statement for me to make, but I believe it with all my heart because I believe the Bible supports it. The Bible gives absolutely no indication that society and culture will ever get better. It doesn't. But I hear a lot of Christians saying, one day we're going to win this nation back. One day we're going to conquer culture. We're going to conquer society. One day politics is going to be righteous. One day all of this is going to be back the way it was. And I think some of us need to accept the fact that those good old days will not return. Your children will never live in the same culture and society that you lived in. It will not happen. It will not happen. And the Bible gives no indication otherwise. Evil will escalate. And if that apocalyptic theory is right, which I believe it is, things will get worse and worse and worse and worse. So here's the thing. If we believe that today, if you believe that, it's not a happy thought. But if you believe that, then the question must simply be, are we prepared for that? If Jesus was correct and he says it's going to be like labor pains, are we prepared for that? Have we done what we needed to do to be ready for when those times come? Listen, man, I'll tell you, just looking at 2020, there was a lot of professing Christians that were not prepared for 2020, and because of that, we saw them leave. Because of that, we've seen people turn. I can't tell you how many divorces we had to go through in the first couple of months of that isolation. How many people relapsed back to drugs and alcohol? How many people relapsed back into porn addictions and sexual deviation? I can't tell you how many people because they weren't firmly rooted in Christ. They weren't prepared for the storm. So again, we need to ask ourselves, have we insulated ourselves with God's word? Are you reading God's word? You don't have to be afraid of the future if you've read God's word because God tells you how it's going to shake down in the end. Is it gonna be bad for a while? Yes, but in the end, Jesus wins. And if we are on his side, we win too. But you will not know that if you do not read the word. You will not have the wisdom. You will not have the insight. You will not have the discernment to navigate the storm unless you're in the word of God. Have you prepared yourself with prayer Do you talk to God? Do you listen to God? Have you asked God to fill you up with his Holy Spirit? God, remove the impurities from me. Create room in me for your Holy Spirit because without his Holy Spirit, we are going to be utterly lost. We cannot stand. So we have to be full of his Holy Spirit. Are we prepared? Because all the things that are happening right now should be stimulating us back to Jesus. Closer to Jesus. So is the increasing evil around us. And again, if you haven't noticed it, you're just not looking. If you have not noticed that the world is increasingly evil, is that increasingly evil culture in society? Is that pushing us towards Jesus, or is it tempting us to give up? How many analogies does the Bible use? Those who finish the race those that fight the good fight, those that survive till the end, right? Who push forward till the end. It's going to be a fight. Guys, there's so many of us. We heard about these things, right? And we read about these things and we thought that was going to be some generation way off in the future. It's in your face. It's here. It's here. And how are we responding? To me, it's fascinating, though, the chaos of the world. You know what I've learned in 2020? Me personally is man, everything that we thought could save us has fallen apart. It has just made me rely on God that much more. I don't have as much faith in humanity as I used to, but I have the utmost faith in God. Because we've seen politics fall apart. We've seen entertainment fall apart. We've seen economies fall apart. We've seen, that we've seen everything. We've seen the crack in every foundation. And Jesus still remains, still remains strong. So the fruit of this society... The corruption and the lies and the deceit. I'm kind of getting a kick out of a lot of people right now. They're just like, man, our government's corrupt. They've been corrupt forever. Every government has corruption. Listen, even when things look good, if your senator makes eight times more than the constituent he represents, that's wrong. There's always been corruption and evil. When you can become a multimillionaire being a worker for the people, something is wrong. We should have always known this. That's why Jesus didn't come to fight a political battle. He came to fight for the souls of man. That's why he came. Do you want to know my tweetable moment right now? My tweetable moment is this. We have been so focused as Christians on trying to win the soul of a nation when we have missed the soul of our neighbors. That's my thing right now. We keep talking about saving a society when your neighbor's going to hell. Your kids are gone wild, right? Your marriage is falling apart and you're talking about saving culture. It's crazy. It's lunacy. And so we've got to get back to to, to personally getting closer to God and then working on the people around us. And God is going to continue to shake the world. It says it. He's gonna to continue to rattle the cage. And the whole time you can almost see God in your mind's eye going, I'm here. Look, that's falling apart. That's falling apart. This is falling apart. I'm here, I'm here. So the silver lining today is this. Though the Bible does not indicate that culture and society will get better, the Bible does indicate that the gospel will advance. That as evil increases, so will the church. That so will people getting saved, hearts being changed. And here's what we have right now, brothers, sisters. We have an opportunity right now. We have an opportunity. I remember in Murfreesboro several years, several years ago when they were building the mosque and Christians lost their ever loving mind. We did such Christ like things as throwing pig carcasses on the lawn of the mosque, that happened. Spray painting things on the side of the mosque. We did those things. Now, listen, I don't agree with Islam. I don't. But you know the first thing I thought when I found out they were building the largest mosque in the southeastern part of the country? You know what I thought? I'm not going to have to go to Iran to save Muslims. God has brought them right to my backyard. God has brought them right to me. You know what's fascinating? We have a man on our staff. His name is Muhammad. Hard to imagine. He was once a Muslim. Not just a Muslim, he was an imam, which means he was a pastor of a mosque. He works on our staff now. You know why Muhammad is a Christian? Not because someone threw a carcass on his lawn or spray painted on his house, but because a church in Louisiana reached out and loved him where he was. Yes. We have an opportunity, folks. We live in a culture where people find their identity and their sexuality and their gender. They find their identity in their economics and their political affiliation. We have an opportunity right now not to spit on them, not to call them names or argue with them on social media. We have the opportunity in light of all the chaos that is going on to say, you think you are going to find your value in this, but you're not. Let me show you where your value really lies. You are made in the image of God. It's not spitting on them. It is showing them that there is something greater. It is showing them the path. Do you know that all these people who find their identity in money and sex and drugs and pop? do you know they're just trying to find value? They're just trying to find affirmation. They're just trying to be known. And we have the ability to walk up to people and say, you are known. Not for your gender, not for your money. You're known because God sees you. He knows you. He knew you before you were knit together in your mother's womb. He knew every he knows every hair on your head. He knows every mistake you're going to make, and he still loves you. He still loves you. Amen. We have an opportunity right now. The church never flourishes as rapidly as it does until there are times of persecution. Until there are times of hardship, and that is when the church has always shown itself to be the strongest. You have an opportunity. The question is, are we seizing that opportunity? We've got to love people. So two simple questions. Are we preparing? If you believe that this word is the inspired word of God, everything I've said today, I believe I can back up with this word and things are not going to get easier. Are you prepared for that? Jesus says it's like two men. One built his house on sand, right? Had the ocean view, had the, 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 the ocean mist coming in. It was probably a more beautiful place to build a house, but the foundation couldn't hold it up. And he said, there's another man that built his house on a rock. And when those storms came, the house was able to withstand What are we building our foundation on? Are we preparing? Are we preparing? And then the greater question is this. Are we trying to prepare those around us? That doesn't mean that everyone is going to accept the gospel, but we need to be loving people. We need to be serving people. We need to be looking for that opportunity to share with them our personal testimonies about what God has done for us and then share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. Are we doing it? Are you preparing your children? Are you talking to your children about the future? Are you talking to your children about what they're going to face when they go to school today? Are you talking to your, your, your family? Are you raising them up in the way of the Lord? Are you, are, you, are you sharpening your spouse? Are you guys holding each other accountable? Are you preparing each other? Are you praying for your neighbors? Are you praying for the person in the cubicle next to you at work? Because guys, I don't care if you agree with them ideologically or not. Every single person you lay your eyes on is made in the image of the creator God and loved by God. I don't care what they believe. I don't care what they've done. And it is our mission. It is our mission, not to change culture or society. Our mission is to touch the hearts of people by the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's our mission. To disciple, baptize, teach. That's it. Would you guys bow your heads with me, please? Hey, listen, if you are in this room and um, maybe you don't have a relationship with Jesus, maybe you're struggling with doubt, maybe you're confused a little bit, that's, that's totally fine. So glad you're here. Up here on my right, your left, Pastor Carl's up here. He does our small groups. If you have any questions for Carl, he would love to talk with you. Carl used to be a senior pastor. He would be ecstatic to speak with you, Okay. There's also men and women on both sides of the stage. If you need prayer for anything at all, anything, they'd love to pray with you. The last thing is, is you have communion in your hands. I'm going to tell you, we will not be able to stand for whatever's coming if we are not full of the Holy Spirit. What that communion represents is the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Not only did Jesus love you when we were at our worst, Not only did he die for us and shed his blood and give his body so we can be saved, but Jesus gives us his Holy Spirit so we can stand. So regardless of what comes, we'll be okay. If you have not done any preparation until today, that's okay. We can start right now. The Bible says we have to repent before we take communion so we can ask God to forgive us and we can start that preparation. Listen, as your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, make some time this week to pray. Make some time this week to crack open your Bible and read. Make some time this week to share with other people what God has done in your life and pray for other people. Make time this week to pray with your children, with your spouse. We've got to prepare. Father, Lord, I love you. God, I love this church so much. God, this is my family. Lord, I pray that you just keep your hand on them. God, keep them safe. Bless them. Protect them, God. Lord, I pray that you just uh, prepare our hearts, God. Prepare our minds. Keep us fixated on you, Lord. Don't let us get caught up in all the crashing waves around us, God. Lord, let us just lock eyes with you. And if we'll just lock eyes with you, we won't sink. Lord, we lift you up. We praise you, God. Keep your hand on my brothers and sisters in this room. Until we meet again, we thank you, Lord, and we pray all these things in your son's name, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you guys. You're welcome to help yourself. Thank you.